0: All right, New Hope Church, hey, how are you guys doing? Good? All right. Hey, let's just cheer and welcome all of our campus locations. We're one church, many locations. Can you all welcome all of our campuses? Yes, it's so awesome. My name's George Frank. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. And uh, if you're watching online, we're glad that you're joining us as well. If you're watching on Facebook, one of the things I wanna invite you to do is to share this message. It's the simplest and easy way to invite people into a conversation with God. Um, Hey, some exciting things here at New Hope this week, but I don't know about you guys, like I found myself this week just just really kind of overwhelmed by the week. Is anybody else feeling that way? Just a little bit this week, had a really hard week, a difficult week. You'll notice in my voice that I felt it with the crud. It hit me yesterday. And, um, and it's like everything kind of like I had a friend a really dear friend who uh, lost a brother, Um, and then uh, the crud hit. And then last night I was like, I'm gonna go get some orange juice and I'm gonna make myself feel better by tomorrow. It's gonna be amazing. So at 12.01, I walked down to the kitchen. It was pitch black. That was my first mistake. And uh, I reached in the fridge, pulled out the orange juice, poured this nice big cup, put it on the counter behind me, shut the door. So it went from light to dark really quick. And I reached over and hit the cup orange juice everywhere, like ice cubes, you could hear them running down the wood floor and everything. Like I felt so bad, I almost just left it. And uh, (laughs) if we had kids in the house, I could blame it on somebody else, but it's just me and my wife. So anyway, that's how my last few uh, hours or days have gone. And so if you feel that way too, like I just want to tell you, you're in a good place to be And uh, I'm praying for you. I've been praying for you. Our church has been praying for you. And if you'll pray for me today, I do believe God's got something great in store for us. And it's the reason we come together every single week. And we get to gather together and we get to sit next to each other and we get to come face to face because I believe that God has something he wants us all to hear and to learn from. We've been in this series titled "Family." And uh, family means a lot of different things to different people. You can go look up the urban dictionary definition. You can do a lot of different things. Family might have a definition in your mind, but I just wanna start with this idea of family that they're friends and family that we get to choose in life and some that we don't get to choose in life. So I don't know if you guys have one of these friends, but I have one of these friends that says, I'm gonna be your friend whether you wanna be my friend or not. (laughs) And like everywhere I go, he shows up. Like I think he's stalking me actually But he shows up everywhere I go and he's like, yep, I'm gonna be your friend, I'm gonna be your friend, I'm gonna be your friend. And eventually you just have to kind of take him and like, yep, that's my friend and he shows up. And then there's some of us, right, in family, like we get the opportunity to say, hey, we're gonna marry into this family relationship. So I get all of your family along in this picture or she gets all of your family along in this picture. And we get a choice about what our family looks like. But there are times right where we don't get to choose like our parents like god just gave us our parents and so wherever you are in life whether you've chosen some friends or chosen some family or whether god's just put those people in your life we think family is a great place for us to come together and have a conversation about what healthy relationships look like in life, all right? So with that, I wanna, I wanna start us in prayer. And uh, if you hear me start coughing or uh, getting choked up, you pray for me and I'm praying for you while we hear what um, God has in store for us today, all right? God, uh, we come before you today and God, we're so excited to hear the things that you have for us. Lord, uh, my last couple days have been really hard. And I just wanna pray for um, my friend, grieves right now the loss of a family member. I also, Lord, just pray that you be with me, my voice that would hold out, and that I'd be able to speak the words that you want spoken today. And God, I pray for my friends, our family, that sits out and comes prepared, ready to listen. Lord, they've had busy weeks. So I'd be I pray that they'd be able to put those things aside. I pray, God, right now, that you would open our hearts and minds. I pray, God, as you always do. You're amazing, and that you encourage us where we're doing really well. But Lord, I pray for the courage where, Lord, we're missing the mark in our life. And that you'll give us that courage and minister to us gently and sweetly today, as you always do. God, I pray all these things in the powerful name and the life changing name, the name that brings change in our life in Jesus name amen amen, amen. amen. so uh in this family series it's a it's a great series where we've been talking about a lot of different things. And it reminded me of the uh, stories uh, that I heard a little while ago about a grandpa and his daughter. And, um, and we're kind of leaning into this idea of those relationships, right? And so this grandfather sitting at a dinner table with his daughter or granddaughter, I'm sorry, and they're having a really good time and it's really sweet. And his granddaughter reaches over and she puts her hand on grandpa's left hand and uh, is kind of holding it. But then she notices this little funny uh, wedding ring, And so she starts playing with it and uh, rolling it around, looking at all the different sides and surfaces and like all good grandpas, right? He's like, this is gonna be a great teaching moment. I'm gonna teach her some things about relationships right here. So he looks down at his sweet granddaughter and he goes to her, he says, now, honey, he said, that wedding ring, it never comes off my finger. You know why? And the little girl looked at him as she's rubbing it, rolling it around. And she goes, why, grandpa? And he goes, because I love your Nana so much. And the little girl looked back down at the wedding ring and then looked back up at her grandpa and goes, that's funny because Nana takes her ring off all the time. (laughs) And so grandpa finds himself in a moment where he thought everything was going really, really great. But there's just this little crack for a second where maybe something wasn't quite the way he expected. And that can happen oftentimes inside of our relationships. So today, as we kind of dig into that, I just want to bring you to a spot in our life, my, my wife and I's life, where a few years ago we were uh, getting ready to enter this new season called Empty Nesters. Are there any Empty Nesters in the house? Come on, any empty? Yes! See, they don't just raise their hand and you hear the woo! It's a little tired because they finally got there, but it's woo. And like, those of you who are sitting there and you're like, oh, they're just bad parents. Like, one, you're jealous. And... <laughs> And two is like, you don't realize like you, you, we know exactly where you're at. If you have kids in the house, like there's these moments where you're like, I'm not gonna make it, I'm not gonna make it, I'm not gonna make it. And then there's a moment where you're like, he's not gonna make it. That kid is not gonna make it out of this house. If he does that one more time, he's not gonna get out of this house alive. But the moment that your kids finally leave the nest, and sometimes that's after high school, sometimes that's after college, sometimes it's a little bit longer than that, right? But the moment they leave the nest as empty nesters, you're like, yes, we did it. And there is a celebration moment. It's hard work, parents. It's really hard work to get to this point where you can get your kids out of the nest and into life and you begin praying God to just move and help them to accomplish and do all the things that God has purposed them to do. And so Tara and I kind of hit this uh, empty nest season in our life and it was really exciting. And as we stood there as empty nesters, one of the things that we began to look at one another going, oh my gosh, it wasn't that long ago that it seems like we met in central Ohio at college. It was February, we were on this frozen pond kind of skating slash playing hockey or just goofing off to be honest. And when I saw Tara, I was like, man, she's beautiful and interesting and all those things, right? The physical attraction that the stars go off and fireworks and all that good stuff but I wasn't really looking for a relationship. I just really wanted someone to hang out and have fun with. And Tara was the same way. She just wanted to hang out, but like the more we hung out, the more we enjoyed being around each other, and we did everything, like we, we got to uh, go out to eat when we wanted, we, we hung out late, we picked our friends together. We just had a lot of fun, everything that we did. And then we got married and all that stuff just was exponential in those early days. It was like everything that we ever dreamed about being a couple and being together, we just did. And it was fun and it was exciting. And then all of a sudden you end up in life sometimes in this spot, like being empty nester. Sometimes we'd turn around and look at each other and go, oh my gosh. There was a lot of life that just happened in between. And sometimes it doesn't happen at empty nesters. Sometimes it happens when you have kids. Sometimes it happens when job change happens. Sometimes it happens when our parents die. But we go through life and all these things happen. We started out with these great big dreams. And then all of a sudden we are standing in life at a spot. And we're like, wait, this isn't the place that we were expecting to be right now. And sometimes those are really challenging moments in our life. Maybe it's come out of an argument, a fight, a death in the family. Could be a lot of different reasons that you're standing there looking at one another, saying we're in completely different territory. Because like when you started out, there were all these dreams. What we're going to do, we're going to have these types of jobs, and we're going to have this type of house, and it's going to be located in this place, and we're going to have 2.5 kids, and we're going to have a dog, right, that um, you don't have to pick up after. And all these things in life, we had these dreams, And sometimes they don't come to fruition. And have you found yourself inside of your relationship, your marriage relationship, or the relationship that you'll want to have? This may happen to you one day where you find yourself going, this isn't what I dreamed about. This isn't what I imagined. Guys, look, when I met Tara, my dream car was a Lamborghini Countach. This was in the 1990s, a Lamborghini Countach, $200,000. It would do 200 miles an hour $1,000 $1,000 for every mile per hour this car would do. V12 five speed transmission. Like, I think they have a picture of it up here. Now, look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Red, of course, red. Like, well, I want it to stick out. If I'm driving that car, I want people to see it. That was my dream car. And I was like, I'm going to do whatever I can. And notice it's got two seats only, right? There's no place for a car seat or anything else in the back. Like, it's two seats only. And that was kind of my dream at the time. But I found myself going through life, and all of a sudden, like, before I knew it, my wife and I, we had kids. We had a mortgage. We had job changes. We'd been through cancer twice already, and we turn around, and we look at each other, and things weren't quite as we dreamed, and I ended up not with a Lamborghini Countach, but I ended up with this. <laughs> like, y'all, that's not, a, that's not even a third generation. You got, like, Forward collision, lane mitigation, media entertainment. Like this had nothing in it. I call it a van, a wagon, not a minivan because it's like a minivan and a wagon mated together and kicked this thing out. And it's what worked. It wasn't what I wanted. It's not what I I did not dream about this at any point in my teenage years. But it is what we got in that season of life. And so oftentimes we just find ourselves in a place where it's not what we wanted. It's not what we had dreamed about. And sometimes in those relationships, as we're going through it we find ourselves facing disappointment, like that's not our dream. This isn't where we wanted to be. And the pressures of life have overwhelmed us. And we find ourselves arguing with one another more and more and more because the disappointment continues to mount, the hurt continues to mount. And sometimes it's even the sin that we have against one another continues to mount in our relationship. And Tara and I found ourselves in this spot before we became empty nesters. Um, I had been traveling for work. My wife was raising uh, four and six year old kids. We had two kids, they're beautiful kids and awesome. I love them to death. But I found myself in a spot where I'd leave on Monday morning at the crack of dawn. I would get home Friday night, sometimes Saturday, I'd have really 24 to 32 hours to turn it around, get back on the road and travel again. Now, some of you are like, hey man, I'd love to be a road warrior. And for the first couple weeks, it's awesome. It's fun, like you're eating out on somebody else's dime, you're staying in a nice hotel. But once you start being away from home for five, six, seven, eight months at a time, it gets old quick. And I'm working really hard and trying to provide for our family. That's what I felt like I was doing. And Tara was at home really raising uh, our two children. And uh, I'd been on the road for a long time and actually had started to go overseas and was gone for two weeks at a time before I would come back home. And I got home one week, and just being really transparent with you all, I had asked Tara to get this one thing done. Like the whole week, the whole week I was gone, five days, right, six days, I just wanted one thing. Could you do one thing for me? Please do one thing for me. And when I got home, I looked, and I was like, she didn't do the one thing. Like, what the heck? She had six days to get this done, and it, it's not done. And so I don't know if you guys have ever found yourself in this spot, whether it's with a person that you're uh, dating or a friend or whether it's your spouse. But I walked in the house and I was ready to go. I walked in on her. I was like, she is going to, I'm going to give her six bullet points. She's going to understand everything. She's going to understand everything that I have to say. And when I get done with it, she's just going to drop to her knees and say, I'm so sorry. I should have got that done this week. She's going to understand my full perspective. And so I'm plowing through my bullet points and I get to the end and I'm ready for the aha moment. And Tara gives me that aha moment. She goes, well, I'm sorry. I guess you don't know what it's like to be a single mother. And I was like, yeah, oh. I was like, hey, wait, foul, referee. That was like, it was below here, right? That's a problem. We don't fight that way in our house. In fact, one of the things that my wife and I promised one another from the day that we got married that we would never use the word divorce in a fight. But I never thought a fight would get that severe and deep that she would throw that at me because what I was doing was trying to provide and care for. But what she was doing on the other side was trying to provide and care for too. And I didn't care about the troubles and the challenges that she had. And what I realized is that hurt and disappointment... This wasn't necessarily her dream that her husband would be gone for weeks at a time and he'd be on the road and that she would be at home bathing two kids at night, feeding them, putting them to bed, reading their uh, Bible stories at nighttime, praying with them, praying that daddy would come home safe. Only for a moment where I get, you know, 24 to 32 hours with her and turn around and do it all over again. That wasn't her dream either. And so, like, when I started looking at it, I was like, a lot of this falls on me. It's my fault and I I have a list. I made a list. Like I'm a list guy anyway and I made this list and I was like, okay, so what have I done to hurt or disappoint my wife? Well, one is I wasn't shoulder to shoulder with her. I wasn't in a place where I was able to do the day-to-day chores. Like that one thing I wanted done, you could put in the list of chores that needed to be done but she had to do that plus all the other things on her list to do and I wasn't present with her. I wasn't around at night to provide protection and safety for our family. Like I was in a hotel room and it has a couple deadbolts, and she was in a house with two kids and a dog and she was trying to be the strong one at nighttime. She'd been strong all day long and she was trying to be the one that was strong at night saying, hey, those creepy little noises that are going on tonight, don't worry about them. Everything's okay, our house is safe. Everything's gonna be fine. I wasn't there to help her with that. I wasn't there to hear her problems and challenges for the day. Like raising kids is a challenge. Like I got these kind of phone calls, dads, I don't know if you can relate, or moms, I don't know if you can relate to those dads who are at home during the day. I got a phone call, like she was picking potpourri out of our son's nose with a pair of tweezers. I was like, how did potpourri get up his nose? And she said, he said it smelled good. So he thought he would stick it up there. (laughs) One day I got a phone call and she was on her way to the doctor's office because our son, she was painting the room. She turned around and he had the paint can and was drinking it. Those are problems, (laughs) real problems. Like I was hoping social services wasn't gonna come after those problems in our life, but they were real. Those were challenges that she faced and I wasn't there to help her, I was a phone call away where I said, hey, I'm praying for you, or hey, get to the doctor or whatever else it was. One of the things that I really wasn't that I promised my wife on the day that we got married because we got married in this relationship underneath God. Like, God, I love this lady. Nothing will separate me from her. Thank you for providing her, giving her to me, giving me the opportunity to be in her life. One of the things that I realized that I wasn't doing was I wasn't being her spiritual leader. I wasn't there to pray for her, with her, encourage her to read scripture together, to guide and direct our family. I was often not there to be able to go to church with her and to hear what God had in store for both of our relationships in life. I wasn't uh, living up to those things. And honestly, at the end of the day, the things that I was becoming was really selfish and kind of greedy inside of our relationship. And I worried more about what was happening for me and not what was happening with her. And our relationship essentially became a contract, right? A contract is a relationship where you say you'll do something for me if I do something for you. And when I don't do that, When I stop doing my part of it, you start saying, hey, I don't want to be in this contract. I don't have to fulfill my obligations to it. You have to do yours. That's what the contract does. It holds us accountable. Where what God does inside of a covenant relationship, this is the way he designed marriage. God says that what he put together, let no man pull apart. He joins us as one so that we're always walking together through marriage and our relationships But instead, what I was doing is I was taking inventory. I was like, oh, she didn't do this. She didn't do this. She didn't do this. And then I began to look on my side of the contract of the equation and start saying, well, I don't have to do this. And I don't have to do that. And I don't have to do that. Um, And what I really feel like in this inventory list is that... um, all these little sins and disappointments in life that I felt like were coming from her, the things that she wasn't living up to in her contract side of the relationship, that I felt like it was kind of like dirty laundry a little bit. Like there were things beginning to pile up in our relationship. And if I look to my side in that list that I just ran through with you, that was my dirty laundry out on the floor. And I laugh about it because a few years ago, I had a friend come over and he was running a phone jack, which I know sounds rare. Nobody has phones in their homes anymore. (laughs) He was running a phone jack to another room and I went up to the attic and he said, I'm gonna go to your daughter's room and I'm gonna get the uh, line there to make sure I know how it terminates and then we can run it over to the bonus room. And I'm like, great. So I'm up in the attic and I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, it's hot, I'm sweating, I'm starting to get mad at my friend. And and, uh, all of a sudden he comes up in the attic and he's a bald headed guy like me and he wears glasses and his glasses were sideways and he was in a full sweat. I was like, Murph, what the heck happened? Like, you're gone forever. And he was like, have you been in your daughter's room? And I'm like, not in a while, why? And he said, I opened the door and it was like a minefield. He said, there were clothes everywhere. And he said, so I started to try and hop over the clothes and I hopped over one pile of clothes. I landed on a shoe, it tripped me. I started to fall forward. There's a cereal bowl right in the middle of the floor. And he said, I'm trying to miss the cereal bowl as I go down. And he's like, "Like, I don't think I can do it again. I don't think I could navigate it. He said, "It's, it's too hard. I almost lost my life inside of your daughter's room. And honestly, like if we could just really be honest with ourselves that there are times in our life where that laundry begins to pile up and that room of a relationship called our marriage becomes very difficult to navigate. We don't want to go in the room oftentimes, and if we are in the room, just like Murph became defensive in his body posture and trying to stay afloat and stay alive, we become the same way. We become defensive. Sometimes we become bitter, and oftentimes we'll begin to have contempt for one another, and we don't want anything to do with that relationship or trying to fix it, and so I kind of give this analogy uh, in marriage, right, that... um, how many people love weddings? Anybody love going to a good wedding? Did everybody have this wedding to remember, right? Like all these shows on television about weddings. One of my favorite things about weddings is, um, is that when the couple comes together, they're, they like, they would walk up. The guys are on this side and the girls on this side and everybody looks beautiful. And they would come up these stairs. And when they get to the top of the stairs, they don't turn around and face you. Instead, they face one another, they're looking into one another's eyes, and they're all goo-goo-eyed, and tears are coming down. And as a pastor, I carry this little hanky, and I hand it out and let them dab the tears. And they're tears of joy and hope and dreams and all those other things. And, and then oftentimes, when you, say, when you pronounce them husband and wife, they turn, and they face the crowd, and they're side by side. Now they got each other's hands, or they're holding each other's arms, and they're smiling, and they're happy. And the thing I love about that is when they come face to face, what they're seeing is the future. In the future, they're seeing one another. Like, I want to go forward in this relationship. I want to go forward with you. And in the future, I see you. And then when they turn and face each other, they're standing in the same direction and they're looking to the future together. Together, we're going to get this thing. We're going to go after it. But oftentimes in our relationships, as the dirty laundry piles up and up, and we don't want to deal with the issues, we don't want to clean out the room, we don't want to get the cereal bowls out of the room in life, that we get to a spot where we come back to back. And there's this picture that we have when they're back to back, you're looking in opposite directions. In fact, you don't see one another in the future, you see a completely different future. And if you start moving towards the future, what happens? You get farther and farther apart. And so we want to go through our relationships. We want to at least be side by side. And my hope and prayer is for everyone that there's this place where you can't constantly come back together face to face. And you see one another in the future together. You have a better future together. And that's God's desire and his purpose for us in life. But if we're not careful, the dirty laundry gets us to a spot where We keep fighting, we keep bitterness, it keeps piling up, it gets worse and worse and worse. And we get to the point where we get into these fights and arguments and nobody wants to budge. And it reminds me of this story, I don't know if you guys heard the story, but there's a couple, they were in a massive argument and one of our tactics in fighting is the silent treatment. Now don't show me your hands if you've been there before, but I'm just gonna raise mine for all of us in the room that have been there. Is like you go silent. And the best thing about a, a good silent treatment fight, right? To win a silent treatment fight, you have to stay what? Silent. silent. right? So your goal is to get the other person to break silence first. Like, uh-uh, I'm not saying a word. I am stone cold, baby. She's not getting anything out of me. And so there's this couple. They get in this, this uh, silent argument fight, and they've been two days into it. That's pretty good, Right? but guys stay with me for a second. Like we all know this to be true as guys, we, we need her to do some things in our life that are really important to us. And we can't get through life on our own. Let's just be really honest about it. So this guy realizes that, Hey, one of the things I'm not good at in life is waking up early. And I've got to be up at 5am to make a flight to Chicago. So he's not breaking the silent treatment. So he goes over to the den, gets out a piece of paper, writes a note down and says, honey, I have to be up at 5 a.m. tomorrow to make my flight to Chicago. And he puts it on her nightstand and he goes to bed. Well, his wife comes to bed and uh, they go to sleep. And the next morning, uh, the guy wakes up and he looks over and his alarm clock says 9 a.m. And he looks over in the bed and his wife's gone. And he's ticked. Like, I don't know if you guys have been there, but he's mad. He jumps up out of bed. He gets ready to go find her. And as he gets ready to do that, he looks back. And on his nightstand, there's a note. And he goes over and reads the note. And it says, honey, it's 5 a.m. Wake up. (laughs) Like, we want to be face to face. We want to be side by side. We know when we get back to back, it's a dangerous place to be because we start stepping into our future and it leaves the other person behind. And actually, if they step into their future, it creates distance. And that's not what God had in store for us. And so really quickly, in our last few moments together as a church, I want to take us to a passage of scripture that I think God has for us to help us to begin to navigate some of these things. There's four basic points. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in them, but I want you guys just to sit in it for a second and hear what God would say to us about our relationships, the relationships for our marriage, which is really important, and the relationships for our friendships and our family members. Wherever you have a relationship, you can put these things into place and there'll be better relationships because of it, all right? So we're gonna turn to uh, Colossians chapter three, verse five, and here's where it starts. It says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature... "'Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. "'You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, "'but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, "'anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips.'" Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of your creator. And so here's the thing. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus in your life, what God is saying to us, it's this place where you get to make a decision where you take off these old duds. Right? There's this old self, there's this old way of doing things where we get angry, where we get upset, where we seek evil, like revenge would be one of those things that we could put in that evil uh, desire, where our language isn't honoring to God, let alone to one another, that when we get into arguments and fights, we're not fighting fairly. And what God says in this uh, passage is that we shouldn't lie to one another. And since we're, being, uh, since we're a new creature, a new being, that we should take off these old duds and begin to put on something new that looks more like who God is and be in the image of God. And so if, if you're sitting today and you're just taking mental inventory, and I know that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard place to come to and say, hey, where am I at in this? I'm not asking you to look at your spouse. I'm not asking for those little elbow nudges during the message that that's you. What I'm asking for the next few minutes is that we look inside of us, inside of you individually, inside of me individually, and say, where am I at with these things? And so when I begin to look at my speech, when I, when I begin to look at, am I angry all the time? When I begin to look at, do I have malice? Do I want revenge? Do I want to repay wrong for wrong? If I start to find those things in my life, what I have to do is go back to God and say, God, take these old duds off. Cleanse me of these things, and let me put the new duds on that you want me to wear. And it's in that spot that I believe that God begins to honor our relationships. So if we go to uh, the next part of the passage in Colossians uh, 3, uh, verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, The God forgave your sins, and now he's calling you his children, that you're holy and dearly loved. He's asking you to put on these new clothes, And these clothes look like compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so the second thing I want you to walk away with today is this idea that the best relationships require the best clothes. A few weeks ago, my wife, well, about a month ago, my wife and I got to go to this gala. It's called the Barefoot Gala. It's for kids that don't have shoes around the world. And for the first time in a long time, I got to rent a tux and my wife got this beautiful evening gown. And like you know, I'll be really honest, it took me about uh, 30 minutes to get ready, and it took her about an hour and a half to get ready, but that moment of the big reveal is amazing. It was like the wedding day all over again, because we don't get dressed up like that very often, and when I came out, she was like, oh my gosh, you're so handsome, and when she came out, I was like, that is the girl I want to be with. That's my girl. I love her. She's beautiful. And we put on our best clothes for one another and we felt differently. It was a special night. We had fun with friends and family and we got to lean in to the charity part of the event. But we just loved being with one another and the way that it made us feel to be all dressed up. And so there's this thing that I want you to understand. What God's saying about putting on these clothes is that he wants the absolute best for us. And when we begin to put on these clothes of patience and gentleness of humility, that it's at that spot that we begin to be a reflection of God, that we begin to look like God. That's who God is to us. He's patient with us. He's gentle with us. He's kind to us. And that when we begin to look more like Jesus, when we begin to look our best, like our creator looks like to us, that then we can be our best to others around us. And our spouses begin to see compassion that we care about how they feel, that we put their needs before our own, that they see kindness. My, my act of kindness to my wife is that I fill her car up with gas and then I take it down and I get it washed and I vacuum it out and have it all nice and clean for her. I know that's not something that she typically cares about, but I like it to be nice for her. And she appreciates that. She sees that kindness of me. And the gentleness, probably from my wife back to me, is that I'm not very good at putting stuff up all the time. And so I might come in the house and drop my backpack and take my shoes off down the hallway and and drop something else along the way. And instead of holding it against me all the time and saying, you never or you always do these things, my wife will gently pick it up. Now, it doesn't mean she won't every once in a while remind me. But it's not a fight. It's not an argument, and oftentimes she picks those things up and does it because she knows it's not my strongest place, and she's gentle with me in her approach. And so God's asking us to put on our best clothes, that when we put on those best clothes that look like God, we begin to reflect him to other people in our life, and that when we do that, that's where we care the most about our relationships, Here's the next part. In verse 13, it says this, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so the third thing I want you to remember is to live in the best relationships, we have to be willing to forgive. And forgiveness is tough. It's one of the hardest things. In the last three years of my life, I've worked harder on forgiving people than I've ever worked before. And God keeps teaching me all kinds of things about forgiveness. The one that he's spoken the hardest and the deepest into my life to help me understand what forgiveness really looks like. It says on the night that he was betrayed, that Jesus walked into a room of his closest followers, of the people who said, I love you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to make you the leader of my life. And he walks into the room of the people who are supposed to care about him the most. And he kneels down. And he begins to wash their feet and to serve them and to care for them and to show each and every one of them how much he loves them. And as he goes through the room, he gets to the end and he says uh, that he's washed everybody's feet, but not everyone was clean in the room. And the reason he says that is because there's a person in the room whose name was Judas that Jesus already knew was going to inflict the deepest hurt, the sense of betrayal. Have you been in a relationship where someone's betrayed you? It's the hurt that goes the deepest to me. And Jesus still served and loved him in the same way that he served everybody else in the room, but he knew that that person was gonna inflict the deepest hurt that we could experience. And Jesus took that hurt and the same hurt that we have caused and took it to the cross and died for it. And during that, he said, Father, they know not what they do. And he forgave us. He forgave me of the betrayal, of the hurt, of the sin, of all the wrongs that I've done in my life. And I haven't even said, I'm sorry yet. But Jesus said, I forgive you. And this principle of forgiveness is huge. If we're gonna have good relationships anywhere in life, people are gonna do things that are wrong against us. Sometimes it's just gonna be a little grievance, right? We could overlook it. Like, yeah, um, you didn't fold the towels the way I like to fold them. Like, that's not a sin. I didn't commit a sin. But it's a disappointment. Like, we, we get into arguments, we get into fights, we say things that we don't want to say, but actually come out of our mouths. And all of a sudden, we begin to hurt other people. And we may move to a place where there is sin, real sin in our life. And the thing, if we're gonna have good relationships, again, this is about us, not about the other person. The thing, if we want good relationships, is that I have to look at each person that I have a relationship, and especially my spouse, and say, I forgive. I forgive, regardless of whether she says, I'm sorry, regardless of whether she sees what she did was wrong. And the thing about forgiveness is that um, sometimes when we say we forgive, we say we don't forget. Well, I can forgive, but I'm not going to forget. And in this passage, what Jesus, it says the standard of forgiving is forgive as the Lord forgave us. And so if you go through scripture in Jeremiah, there's this passage that says this, Jeremiah 31, 34 says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Like a lot of times we say, Jesus has a bad memory. God has this bad memory. He doesn't remember all these things. No, what that passage actually says is that God chooses not to remember your wrongdoings. His forgiveness is so big and so great that when we repent of that, it's gone. It disappears. It disappears. He chooses not to remember that. And if we're gonna have those relationships where we forgive, and sometimes a person doesn't repent right away, we still have to be able to erase that record and say, hey, I still forgive, I still forgive. And the amazing thing about us as believers, as Jesus followers, if you put Jesus number one in your life and say, he's my priority, he's who I wanna follow in life, that when we forgive others, it's in that moment Take yourself to the room where Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. It's in that moment where we begin to look the most like Jesus because he forgave in the hardest of moments to ever forgive for anyone. And so we sang today, and we're like, yeah, we're worshiping God. We love you, God. We love you, God. When you forgive, you look the most like Jesus, and it's a place where your life is worshipful. And so I want to encourage you. Forgiveness is tough. It's hard. I'm like, I, every time I forgive, I want to do this. I forgive you. And then inside of me, I'm like, but. <laughs> but I forgive you. And the thing that I think we need to be careful of is that sometimes inside a relationship, some relationships are dangerous and harmful. And so forgiveness isn't all about enabling the other person to physically hurt you or harm you. Forgiveness isn't about enabling sin. Forgiveness doesn't approve the sin. It just says, I forgive you. And it begins the opportunity for repentance to take place and some type of restoration to take place. And so I just encourage you, if we want to have good relationships, we've got to find a way to continue to forgive people in our life And if you want reconciliation, if you find yourself back-to-back instead of face-to-face or side-to-side, forgiveness starts the reconciliation process. Not the other person saying they're sorry. You have to be willing to extend the forgiveness first. And then when the sorry comes, then there's a chance for reconciliation to really happen and hopefully restoration inside that relationship to whatever restoration could look like at its very best. The last part that I think we can learn from Colossians is in verse 14. It says, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And so here's the last thing I want you to take away today and think about as you go throughout your week. Is in in all relationships, the most important ingredient is love. In all relationships, the most important ingredient is love. Love binds these things together. And the thing that I love about love, I love about love, is that it plays, like if we really love one another, we're playing to the best of one another, not the worst of one another. Like in, in the world of management, we, we look at people and we say, hey, if they're a three in this category, they're not ever gonna be a 10 probably, right? That's just not their natural gift or bent. You might make improvement, you might go from a three to a five, you're probably not going to be a 10, but everybody's a 10 in something. God's given you these unique abilities, these unique gifts that you're a 10 in something. And when you come together with that person, that God's purpose for you and your life, look for their 10s. Don't look for their threes and play to the best of their 10s. When Tara and I are at our very, very best, we're playing to our strengths, not to our weaknesses. We're pointing out our strengths. We're not pointing out our weaknesses. And I learned this lesson as a soccer coach. I've, I've coached girls soccer up to the highest level. I took a team to the final four in the state of North Carolina. And the one thing that I learned about these amazing young women was they're all tens and something. And if I could find their 10 on the soccer field and I could put them in a system that played to their strength, we always competed and we always had fun. We might not win every game, but we put ourselves in a position to win. And so today I wanna challenge you, if you're looking at the weaknesses in your partner, you're not putting yourself in a position to win. What are those strengths? Look for them, cherish them, nurture them, celebrate them with your spouse. My wife is amazing. At the things that she's a 10 at, I don't think there's anyone better than her. And when I celebrate those and lean into them, it's the spot where I love her the best. And I think that's what God wants in our relationships. Let's play to our best and not to our worst. Hey, as we wrap up today, I wanna bring us back to this one spot about forgiveness. There's this passage in uh, Romans, Romans 3, verse 21. It's in the message form and the message is a little bit more poetic in nature, but here's what it says. It says, since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives that God wants for us or wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift, He got us out of the mess that we're in, restored us to where he always wanted us to be, and he did it by the means of Jesus Christ. And so the first thing I want to say is that there's some of us in our relationships, we've been compiling the list. And it's not good to compile a list of wrongs. All that means is the laundry stacking up. The room's getting harder and harder to navigate. And at some point, you you won't want to walk through it. And so I'm asking you today, if that comes to the top of your mind, will you begin to write the people's names, whether it's your spouse, whether it's a friend, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's a coworker, would you write their name down and go to them today? and forgive. And sometimes that forgiveness goes minute by minute. Sometimes in my life, I've had to look at people or think of people in my mind and say, I forgive them. I forgive them. I forgive them. And sometimes it goes hour by hour and day by day. And sometimes it's week by week. And I hope that for some people in my life, it'll stretch out and be year by year. And I hope at some point I'll never have to say it again because it's done. But it's the moment in my life where I'm trying to worship God and say, I forgive. Anytime the hurt creeps back in, anytime the enemy brings the list back to my mind, that I'm letting the list go. And so if you have a list of wrongs, I encourage you to set that thing on fire, burn it up and say, God, I choose to forgive today. I'm not keeping a record of wrong. And for some of you, you're like, but this forgiveness thing is, it can't be that easy. And I just want to ask you for a moment just to reach deep into your heart for a minute and just ask if you really experienced God's forgiveness our list of wrongs had separated us from God and God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to come down live a perfect life. God out of heaven, God made into man to come walk among us, live among us, never do anything wrong, care and love for every person that he came into contact with and every person that he would never come into contact personally with, that he would die on the cross, a brutal death and take all the pain and hurt from betrayal all the pain and hurt from immorality, adultery, all those things that creep into our relationships, rage, anger, malice, that he would take all of those things to the cross and he would die for those so that he could forgive. It says he'll forgive whoever, anyone who believes in him, that he came to do that for us. And the moment that we respond to that in repentance and say, God, forgive me for my part in it, It's that spot that he begins the reconciliation process and he brings us together with him. And our relationship is finally restored. You see, what God did for each one of us is what he wants to continue to happen inside of our marriage where forgiveness and repentance walk hand in hand inside of our relationships so that our relationship is always full, complete where it needs to be. If you haven't prayed that prayer, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the people that you've put into our life. God, I wanna take a moment. I just wanna pray for those who are in a spot, Lord, where their relationship isn't good, where there's a long list, where the laundry's piled up, where they're not uh, walking in the same rooms together anymore, where, God, they're back to back and they're walking farther and farther apart from one another. And the answer doesn't seem to be present. It doesn't seem like either party will budge. And so, God, I'm praying in this moment that that long list that's piled up, that, um, Lord, that they would be able to just say, God, I forgive. I want that list to be torn up. I wanna set that list on fire. I don't wanna remember it anymore. I'm choosing not to remember all the wrongs and all the hurts that they've put into my life. It doesn't mean that I'm enabling sin. It doesn't mean that I'm agreeing with everything that they've done. What it means is that I'm not gonna hold a record of wrong or hurt in my life. I'm not gonna let bitterness went out my heart. I want the joy that comes from you, God, and it starts with forgiveness. I pray you give them the courage and the strength to be able to forgive today. God, I wanna pray for the person who doesn't know you, hasn't experienced forgiveness in the way that we've talked about it. Lord, this picture of uh, letting go all the wrongs, Lord, we have a long list. Your word tells us that as sinners, we've compiled a long list of wrongs in our life. And some of those may be in our relationships where we've talked bad, where we've committed adultery, where we've sinned against other people, where we've hurt people. And so God, I pray right now that they would say this simple little prayer, God, I need to experience forgiveness in my life. No one's ever chosen to let my wrongs go. And God, I believe you died for me to forgive my sins so that I would no longer have a list. And I receive your love. I wanna follow you all the days of my life. And with that, God, I'm looking forward to putting this old self to death where I'm not this person anymore, where I get to put on the new clothes, gentleness, kindness, humility, compassion. And God, I wanna be a person that can forgive other people. Will you come into my heart and change me in Jesus' name.